just give you a heads up on kind of where we're headed here. Um, this whole month, we're going to be focusing on Daniel on the topic of exile, standing with courage and conviction in a culture that's growing increasingly hostile to Jesus and to his message and to his church. And so I want to really equip you for the times in which we're living. Right after that, though, uh, the first Sunday in November, it's going to be a blast. We've got some of our best missionary contacts and friends around the world that, that with the help of you, we're flying here. Some of them have never been to the United States. It's going to be their first time. We want to literally roll out the red carpet. How many of you know we want to give them a uh, hero's welcome? And, uh, and that Sunday, in fact, they're going to be with us for the Band of Brothers Men as well. That first, uh, end of that first week is the Band of Brothers. We want all you guys to sign up for that, be a part of three or four hundred men that are on fire for Christ. It's going to be powerful. But these guys are going to share. One of them that I especially want to highlight that's going to share on that Sunday is Pastor Veebel. was part of the Khmer Rouge uh, attack in that country when he was just a boy, the slaughter of millions and millions of innocent people uh, by a, a, a tyrannical government. And, uh, and he was speared through that whole experience and had some amazing, amazing, miraculous uh, signs of God's hand on his life. And, of course, God has used him now to plant over 5,000 churches in Cambodia he is a senior apostle that we're working with in that nation to plant the Bible school that we're going to be planting in, the month, in this month, month of October. So you guys are all part of the groundbreaking, the history-making nature of this moment. And he'll be sharing that Sunday about, uh, about what he has gone through and how God has been faithful in his life. It's going to be powerful. And then that next Sunday, again, Brother Rod's going to be here. And then following that, this is the part I'm getting really excited for. Um, you know, the mercy of God is really the love of God in action. It's God reaching out to us, undeserving us, and, and loving us in spite of, of who we are, and many times in spite of the fact that we were enemies against God and running away from God. Um, and so we're going to be introducing to you a couple of really exciting ministries that are going to be launched. We're going to be loving people. It's going to be between uh, the month, like say, early November through all the way to the end of December. We're going we're to dedicate the two months just to reaching out and rolling up our sleeves and loving as many people and touching as many people as we can. Does that sound like a good plan? We're going to be announcing some really cool ministries that are brand spanking new that we're going to have a part to partner with. They're going to be birthed out of this house. Um, we're going to be hearing a bunch of incredible testimonies because testimonies are powerful. And even, I, I, sh- I share this right now, some of you are still in the midst of going through some very painful experiences and there's nothing like seeing a brother or sister who has gone through something similar, who's maybe a little farther down the road, who can stand up and say, you know what, God is faithful, and God's going to be faithful to you. We're going to hear some stories of some people who God is putting their lives together. And here's the cool thing. We talked about it this weekend. How many of you know when the Holy Spirit fills you, he fills you to overflowing? Because when he fills you, it's not just for you. It's to fill you to overflowing because he wants you to water and bless somebody else. And so please hear this. No matter what anyone has gone through, is going through, will go through, God can take the pain and redeem it and become a stronghold of righteousness and blessing. And he'll, rel- he'll, he'll flow through you in that very area where you've been so wounded. And it'll become a life message for you. I, I, I stood in amazement on Friday night as Andrew Meng was sharing, spiritual son of mine, and realizing the depth of the rejection he's lived in for most of his early days as a young boy. And do you know that out of the depth of the pain of his rejection, he now has an understanding of sonship that is a life message. But the message of his life was birthed out of the depths of his brokenness and his pain. And now what the devil used as a point of weakness, God uses it as a stronghold 
of strength and to minister life to other people that are going through the same thing. Isn't that the way the gospel of the kingdom works? It's amazing. And so, amen, give the Lord a hand. He deserves a hand. So let me jump into this today with every bit of fire and passion I can muster from the bottom of my toes. Are you all ready? Holy Spirit, just torch them, torch them. Um, Here's the question that we're addressing. How in the world do we stand in a culture where we're now experiencing pressures? You all just saw uh, Judge Roy Moore was just removed from his judicial seat, his his judgeship down in in, uh, Alabama. For the simple reason that the state law of Alabama defines marriage between a man and a woman. And he is defending the state constitution which he has sworn to uphold. And because of his stand for biblical truth, the federal government has now moved in to remove him from his, his seat of authority there. Uh, he's standing up for truth. Um, I was just out at the hill the other day uh, at the killing center in our town. And I was privileged to be with a bunch of our outstanding young people. And let me just tell you, one of the things we learned from Daniel is, the, is this simple point. And I want to speak to every young person in this room. I don't care. Tanner, I'm talking to you. That's how young I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about, talking about guys in sixth grade, seventh grade. When Daniel was taken into captivity, a theologian tells us he is probably about 15 years of age. How many of you know conviction for Jesus knows no age? In fact, I'll just tell you this. I was around some of the most radically on fire convicted young people who understand the sanctity of life and are willing to actually do something about it. We were out praying and prophesying and asking God to save and to heal uh, all that have been associated with everything that goes on there. And all of a sudden, I hear a 17-year-old young man named Taki engaging a man who drove up with his girlfriend or somebody that he dropped off there at, at the clinic And let me just say this, we see this all the time with cowardly men and cowardly dads and cowardly grandpas and cowardly boyfriends. They just run their their person there that they've been involved with to have the abortion, but they don't bother leading. And I saw this man standing up there, talking, engaging a man in the car, and he was pleading with this man to turn to Christ and to stand up for truth. And this is what he said, and I love this kind of talk. Why don't you be a man and do the right thing and lead this young lady involved in your life? And why don't you have enough courage to turn to Christ and let him begin to redeem this situation? And we're trying to pray there. And I'm listening to a 17-year-old standing on a hill in front of a place of great destruction, speaking with authority and speaking with conviction beyond his years and pleading with somebody not to continue down the path of destruction and, in fact, calling out his manhood. That gets me fired up. Conviction is not age-specific. In fact, how many of you know one of the... One of the testimonies of youthfulness, the Bible says, is zeal. Not so much wisdom sometimes, but zeal. We need, as we start getting mature, and as Aaron brought out, as we start getting set in our ways, we need the youthfulness. We need the zeal of young folks who haven't figured out they're not supposed to say that or do that. They just know Jesus has changed their life. They read their Bibles. They know what it says. And they stand up for these things. And they open their mouths. Thank God. Thank God. 
I stood there on that hill with him thinking, what an awesome man of God. I can get, I can get in a foxhole with that guy right there. We also said last week that the cool thing about Daniel is he's not a clergyman. He's not a member of the local ministerial association. He's not wearing a clerical collar or gown or anything. He's a politician. Did you hear what I just said? Daniel is a politician that has courage and conviction in this day and age when everybody's doing this. Where's the wind blowing? If I hear one more politician say, well, I'm evolving in my view of whatever, just shut up. What Evolving is code word for lack of conviction. It's a sign you don't know what you believe and you're too old to have figured it out. You probably need to be doing something else besides leading the rest of us. All right, that wasn't in the notes, but we need to get moving on. I talked with you last Sunday about some keys. I want to get real practical here. How do we live with courage? That's a great question. How do we live with conviction? And I said the first thing, the first requirement is to know God. And I said, this is not about being religious. It's not about showing up at church, although I want you to show up at church. But it's not about the external things that we're so comfortable with. It's about, listen to me, a deep, personal, vibrant, intimate, authentic, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is not theoretical. This is not primarily theological. This is not philosophical, although all those things point me to the man of of, of Jesus Christ. But this is a personal encounter, a relationship with the Son of God that impacts you at the deepest part of your spirit. Do you all know what I'm talking about? If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm telling you, you need an encounter with Christ that changes the trajectory of your entire life. I shared last Sunday that convictions are not rooted in head knowledge. They're rooted in deep passion. You're only willing to stand up for somebody and stick your neck on the line when you care about that person, when you love that person, when you have affection for that person. And when you look through the Bible and you look at these great men and women of God who stood up, how about Joseph? Joseph is in the perfect scenario to commit adultery. No one's around. Everybody's going to be quiet. But what does Joseph say in the midst of that situation? How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against my God. It was, it was Joseph's personal encounter with God where he had a love, affection in his heart for God that when he was con- confronted with the opportunity to sell out and to cheat, he said, no, I'm not going to do it. How could I live this way and sin against God? It was in here. He's like, I'm not going to treat God that way. I remember George Mueller when he was in his 90s, this great man of faith who fed 10,000 of, you know, of orphans on the street, always went before God and said, God, help me feed these kids. And God would supply miraculously. And at the end of his days, he's 90-some years old. They open up his change purse. There's a few coins in there. This man had millions of dollars God sent through him, but all he had was a few coins personally. And this is what the interviewer said, George, do you ever worry that you will not have enough? And this is what he said with tears running down his face at the age in his mid-90s. He says, how in the world would I ever question my father who has provided for me all these years? And I know that he will provide for me in my grave and in the life after. How could I ever question this God? 
That's a man not with head knowledge. That's a man who's walked with God. You understand the difference? We got to get out of our religious bubble and walk with God. We got to hear him. We have to know him and we have to have fire in our heart for him. That's real. It's not theoretical. It's personal. But secondly, we said this. You got to know your identity. You got to know who you are, not what you do but who you are. We talked last week how Nebuchadnezzar tried to rename Daniel, gave him a Babylonian name, tried to change his identity. But how many of you know Daniel had a fiery heart for God on the inside and he built his identity based on who that God was? Now let me just say something else. How many of you know God's not evolving? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How many know the character of God is rock solid? And this is good news. That means if God's loving today, you never have to worry that tomorrow he's not going to be loving. But hear me. It also means if he's holy today, guess what? If he's merciful today, if he's righteous and just today, he's not changing. Now, here's the cool thing. When you build your identity on him, guess what happens to your identity? It is not shaken in the midst of a world where everything around you is shaken. In other words, you know who you are. You're this way in the morning. You're this way at night. You're this way tomorrow. You're this way the next year. My identity as a son of God is rock solid and it's stable and it defines who I am all the time. This is making sense to anybody. Daniel knew his identity. Therefore, he wasn't evolving on his positions, on who he was. He wasn't trying to find himself. He knew who he was. But let me get you to the third point this week, and it's a big one. You got to know your God. You got to know your identity. But I want you also to know your map. Know your map. Now, take a look on the screen. This is a wonderful truth. When you become a Christian, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. The Bible tells us that it's an instantaneous act. When God regenerates us, we go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Our spirits are literally dead and cut off from God. We couldn't find God or have a relationship with God if we tried. And then in a moment of new birth, our spirits are made instantaneously alive to God and we have a relationship with him. Isn't that awesome? Look what the Bible says. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. And a new life has begun. I mean, you know, that's, that takes place in a second. But here's the problem. While our spirits are born again, our minds still think like the devil. I wish we could say, invite Christ into my life. Hallelujah. And instantly, my knowledge of the Bible is perfect. And I always think and act like God. How many of you can, can be honest with me? We're usually working really hard to try to think like God. And how many of you know when, when crisis hits and you hit and, and, and uh, you get knocked off your feet a little bit, you automatically go back to your default. And usually your default isn't thinking anything like Jesus. In fact, let me give you a hint. If you're freaking out, if you're worried, if you got anxiety, if you have headaches, diarrhea, I'm sorry, I'm not getting into the medical side of things, but you get the point. You're probably not thinking correctly. It takes a lot of work to get this thing to think correctly. You gotta apply the word to it constantly. You gotta, you, all of a sudden you start, freak out, freak out, get back in here. We're, we're not freaking out. We're a son of the, of the most high God. What does God say about this? Oh yeah, freak out, freak out. No, get back in here. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It's like inside of you, there's two people going on here. The real you 
and the one that died but keeps trying to resurrect. You know what I'm talking about? Get, you're dead again. Shut up. I'm not listening to you. Anybody else have these, these conversations going on inside of me? We have to renew this mind. And we have to be transformed. And we have to deal with the pain that shapes the way we think and the worldviews and all things that have been twisted, all the labels and things that have been on us. We've got to deal with all that stuff, and it's a lot of hard work. In fact, check this out. It's a familiar verse, but it's good to read it. Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How does this happen? By changing the way that you think. I've, I've worked with young people for years as a youth pastor, and I would find this to be true. They'd have a fiery passion for God in their hearts, but they would be thinking like a total pagan because they've been part of this world's system. They've been part of this world's training. They're very humanistic, self-centered, godless in their way they think about the rest of life. So here's what we need. We need to get a map. Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm saying we need to have something that shows us the big picture. Now, let me go to the screen real quick here. How many of you have ever seen one of those? And how many of you have ever been grateful for one of those? <laughs> like you're in this massive shopping mall, and you're trying to find a store, and you're like, where are we? And then you turn, and there's a wall with something like that that says, you are here. Now, let me tell you when this goes wrong, all right? This weekend, I pull up Friday night, men's encounter, and all the guys are pulling their luggage out. Right, Brent? Pulling their luggage out. And they're trying to find where they're going to be staying. And I see this whole group of guys, about six or eight of them, all lined up, and they're all following Thomas. Now, there's nothing the matter with Thomas. Thomas is a good guy. But they're following Thomas Doherty, and he's got all his luggage. And they walk, and they're heading to this home. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm kind of looking like, I don't think that is, I don't, I don't ever remember staying there. And the next thing I know, I find them, and they're still in a state of confusion, and they're walking around following Thomas. That, they should have changed their leader at that point because Thomas wasn't helping them. And they say, Pastor, do you know where Building 9 is? Well, what I found out later was they were directed to go that way, and they walked into the private home of one of the nice residents of Cedar Lake, and if you could imagine eight men with luggage showing up. <laughs> and thank God the lady didn't shoot them dead. I mean, she was gracious, you know. She's like, oh, hey, no problem. You know, we have people here all the time. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not sure how I would have reacted, you know. That's one of those moments you're glad you're not running around in your underwear or your pajamas. Are you with me? Like, where did you guys come from? All right. And then I went to Brent, and I found out the problem. I said, Brent, these guys just went to some lady's house. He said, well, yeah, they're supposed to be a nine. And, and on this map, nine says that way. But here was the problem. If you don't know where you currently are on the map, you're in big trouble. We did not have one of those on our map. So Brent was doing the best that he could. But I said, Brent, here's just an interesting thought. What if we turn it this way? Then nine would be actually the opposite direction. Now, we still don't know if nine's that way either. We could turn the map this way and head north or south. You get the point. There was not a you are here to help us. I still don't know where those guys slept or if they ever found <laughs> dorm number nine. And, and it wasn't Brent's fault. 
Brent was just looking at this piece of paper that had no point of reference. Now, let me just say this. One of the things that helps us live with courage and conviction is God has given us a you are here. In other words, we know in the context of the bigger picture where we're at, and here's the cool part, where we're going. Now go to the next slide. It gets worse, all right? Go to the next slide. How many of you have ever seen that little diagram? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. How many of you believe that? I do too. That's called the map. That's called the destination. Here's the problem. That story of your life has lots of chapters in it. And some of them look like this. There's the chapter with the pit with the rocks. There's the chapter when you have to walk over the tightrope and face your fears. There's the chapter when you are in a hole with water. And you're wet and it's cold and there might be a boat. There might not be a boat. you got to climb out of the pit. I don't know if those are golf course markers where you play golf in between. I don't know what that is. but. And then notice the dark clouds over there. But here's what the Bible does for us. It reminds us that in the midst of all those things that we didn't know were part of the story, God is with us in the midst of all those. And so listen, if you're in a pit right now, Get your map out because the map is showing you you're not staying there. There's a destination where God is taking you and you might get wet. There might be some rain. I don't live here. I don't let the chapter that I'm currently living in shake me out of the reality of where I'm going and the fact that God is superseding all of it. Aren't you grateful in the Bible it didn't stop with Joseph after the pit? Like, and then Joseph had a cool dream, and then he was thrown into a pit. End of the story. No, God never leaves. Joseph didn't stay in the pit. And listen, you're not going to either. You know God. You know your identity. You have a map that's bigger that gives us the perspective of of where we're headed and what's going on here. We need a map. Take a look. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to give you an example how this map works. We'll get to Daniel in just a moment. Hebrews chapter 11. How many of you know this, this chapter is known as the heroes of faith chapter? You're not going to read about one person in Hebrews 11 that did not operate in amazing faith to God and trust God in the midst of challenges. So don't get the idea that some of them had good faith and some of them had defective faith. They all walked in faith. That's why they're in that chapter. They're examples for us. But what I want you to see is what sustained all of these people. Because listen. How many of you know there are times in your life, chapters in your life, when God intervenes and does some amazing, miraculous things, and aren't you grateful for that? I am so grateful that we serve a powerful, living, active God, and he cares about what we're going through. We've had times in our life when we've had amazing, dramatic, physical healings. Hallelujah. We've had financial miracles. We've had relational miracles. We've had people come in together in forgiveness and healed relationships like, like Jeff had with his mom and dad. I mean, praise God for all these things. But guess what? There are other times when you find yourself in one of those pits that we talked about and where God's choosing to work in a little bit different way. Now, he's still being God and he's still being faithful. But the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that some people experience supernatural deliverance from their enemies. But you can't leave out the rest of that chapter. The rest of that chapter says the same people with the same faith and the same confidence in God, when they were confronted with denying Christ... They chose to die rather and, be, and to 
believe God for the outcome, or at least to say, look, we're not going to compromise. And the Bible says they were, they were sawn in half. They were beheaded. They went through all kinds of terrible, terrible physical treatment that obviously ended in their natural death. How do they do that, though? I want, to, I want you to show you something here that has to do with the map again. Look at what it says in Hebrews eleven thirteen on the screen. This is the Amplified Version. All these died in faith, that is, they are guided and sustained by it, without receiving the tangible fulfillment of God's promises. In other words, they, they stood in faith, but they didn't yet receive what they were standing in faith for, only having seen or anticipated them and having welcomed them from a distance. They saw something and welcomed it from a distance, having acknowledged, this is important, that they were strangers and exiles on planet Earth. I like the way the New Living Translation says it. It says, these men of faith I have mentioned died without ever receiving all that God had promised them, but they saw it all awaiting them on ahead, and they were glad. Here's my point. If you're going to get stuck in what's going on around you, in the world around you, with all the pain, all the shaking, all the confusion, you can get stuck in this reality and think, you know what, this really stinks. I'm depressed. I'm I'm fearful. I've had people we've had to pray for at the altar. They say, look at what's going on overseas, and, and that, that could happen here. And oh my gosh, and, and, the, and you lose your fear. I mean, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're getting fed by the evening news, you're going to need antidepressants, all right? Sometimes you've got to shut it all off and spend time with Jesus. Turn on the worship. Roll up your sleeves. Say, you know what? I'm in my Father's world. He's getting ready to make all things new. He's using his church even now to redeem and restore and jump into the mess and be part of the solution instead of being part of the problem. I'm not going to get sucked into the pit of despair. I'm not going to let the world shape my identity. I have a map. And so even Christians all around the world now that are being faced with exactly what those folks were in Hebrews chapter 11, right? Uh, deny Christ or else. Here's what, here's what they're saying. Not, well, you know, I have studied the theological merits of uh, Christianity, and I've concluded apologetically that it makes more sense than anything else. No, not a one of them saying that. Now, all those things are true. We teach classes on all that stuff. But here's what they're saying. How in the world could I deny Jesus who loves me and who saves me and who provided a way of escape for me. And even now when I'm staring you in the face and you're threatening to kill me, I'm telling you, you can kill this body, but you cannot kill me because I'm going to live forever and I'm going on to a future that's going to last forever. It's mind-bogglingly awesome. What do you got going for you? Right? What do you got going for you? It's the map. It's like, okay, this is a really bad scene right now. I'm not sure how this is going to end. But my confidence in God does not change. I'm still going to stand and declare the truth because I'm going somewhere and I can see it. Now, let me just say, we haven't had to do too much of that in America yet. But you know what? This judge that just got, had his career ruined for standing up for truth, guess what? He's, he has been the centerpiece of hate from everybody who doesn't share our biblical worldview. He is the object of hate and scorn. And all he had to do was go with the flow. That's all he had to do was roll over. Go with the flow. I've heard it said that only, only things that go with the flow are things that are dead. You know what? A, a carcass. There's that dead, you know, animal. All bloated up, floating right down the river. But you know what? Things that are alive go against the grain. They swim upstream. 
God's calling us to be alive. We've got to have a map. We've got to be able to see it. These folks all saw it. They knew this isn't the end of the story. I'm putting, I'm, you are here. But this is the bigger picture. In other words, they had a worldview, which is a perfect lead-in for me to invite you all very quickly. Wednesday night, I'm going to help you with a map. And let me just tell you, you need it. I don't want you walking in somebody else's house. You need this map. You need to all show up. I'm going to help you navigate through this life successfully with a worldview that makes sense that enables you to understand and help others understand Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. It's been completely redesigned. Some of you that say, well, Pastor, I took that class. Well, guess what? I've redesigned it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just like those new cars that come out with the new things, you know, you got to have one. All right, you're gonna, you got to come out and be a part of this. I want to equip you or help equip you with a biblical worldview. Now, let me ask you a trick question, but it's really not a trick question. But it kind of is. All right, how many of you, Believe that Jesus is a person, or, or that Christianity is a personal relationship with Jesus. You have you invite Jesus in your heart. Okay, how many of you think I just explained the fullness of what Christianity is? Okay, good, because it's much more than that. Here's the cool thing: when we get Christ, we get the map, which means we get a comprehensive understanding. Check this out: of all of reality. You didn't know that came with membership, did you? You get a comprehensive map of reality, which helps you understand and in the swirl of everything that's going around, what is true, what makes sense, where are we going, how are we going to get there, uh, and how do we then stand with, with a conviction based upon the truth of the Word of God. All right, let me tell you a quick story. I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 2. I'm going to paraphrase, and then we're going to pull out a point, and then I want to pray and minister to you today. Daniel chapter 2. Keeping going in the story here. Daniel 2 opens up with a king that has been given a God-given dream that was so terrifying the Bible says he couldn't sleep. And the king says, I've got to know what this means. What he does is pretty radical. He calls all of his wise guys around him, his astrologers, his, all of his uh, magicians, and this is what he says to them. And picture this. I've just had, you guys, the worst dream imaginable. It kept me up all night long. It's tormenting me. I need to know the answer. Here's what I want you guys to do. Tell me the details of my dream, and then tell me what it means. All right? Everybody ready? You got that? Report back. That's the memo. Oh, by the way, let me tell you what else I'm going to do. If you, bunch of no good astrologers, magicians, cannot tell me the meaning of this dream, and, and the dream itself... I am going to rip you limb from limb, and I am going to bring the bulldozers out and plow your house down and turn it into a pile of rubble, and it's not going to be pretty. Because you know what? I'm sick and tired of you guys just making up a bunch of stuff that, that, that has led me astray. This is a serious dream. I want, I want to know the dream itself. You tell it to me. Well, guess what? They're, they all start a complaint. I want you to take a look at their complaints. Uh, after he tells them, I'm going to tear you limb from limb. Sounds like a Three Stooges episode. Um, then take a look at verse 10. The astrologers applied to the king. No one on earth can tell the king this dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. They're saying, this is not fair. The king's demand is impossible. No one except the gods can tell you your dream. And guess what? They don't live here among people. How many of you know we got a distinct advantage here? Because the God of gods, the king of glory, has chosen to live among people. 
You have God living in you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. You have the God himself bringing you the wisdom of God, the anointing of God, the faith of God, the joy of God. Everything God has is available to us through the Holy Spirit who's working in us now. How I many you know that's pretty cool? Daniel understood that he had a different map than the rest of these guys. But here's the problem. Somehow, Daniel didn't get the memo. So if you could imagine... All these guys showing up at your door and you open the door and you say, hi, you know, can I help you? Yeah, we're here to rip you limb from limb and plow your house down. Seriously. Now, here's where it gets to be what we just talked about, knowing your God and knowing your identity. The Bible doesn't say Daniel threw himself to the ground, started begging for mercy, or Daniel got a migraine because he was under so much stress, or Daniel said, oh my gosh, I don't know how this is going to work out. Daniel didn't do any of those things. The Bible says that he spoke to them with wisdom with winsomeness. And this is what he said. You know what? We have a map. And we know somebody who can help with this situation. Tell the king, we got it covered. Now, how many of you know he's speaking there out of intimacy with God? He doesn't know the dream. And he knows he's going to get torn limb from limb if he doesn't produce. But his confidence isn't in himself. His confidence is in God. How about if we would invite God into the challenges we're facing right now? How about when the first thing that goes wrong in your house, when everybody's freaking out? How about dad? Dad, spiritual leader of your home, talking to the dads. How about dads if we pull the family together and say, we're going to pray. And we're going to invite God into the middle of this craziness. And we're going to believe that God's going to give us wisdom and bring peace in this situation. Hey, dads, how about doing that sometime instead of freaking out? Sorry, I wanted to get all the dads' attention. They were still napping. At this point, he says, we're going to pray. And guess what? They got together as men of God and they prayed. Now check this out. Now we're going to get into the passage I want, I want to read. This starts in verse uh, 31. In your vision, Daniel's talking here, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron. Its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. And as you watched, a a rock was cut from a mountain, not by human hands. It struck the feet of the iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron and clay and bronze and silver and gold. And then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. And then Daniel says, that was the dream. Picture yourself as, the, as this wicked, all-powerful, mighty ruler of the known world at that time, and this man of God, an exile, a slave from another country who has a different map, a different identity, and a different God, starts telling you the specifics of this very detailed dream. How many of you know you'd be sitting there going, I am sitting in the presence of someone from another world. What I'm experiencing right now has to be from the great God, the one and only God, because nobody could do this. And then he goes on, he says, this is what the dream's about. Take a look at the next, next verse. Your majesty, verse 37, you're the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty and power and strength and honor. He's made you ruler over all the inhabited world. And has put even the wildest animals and birds under your control. You are the head of gold. But then he tells them what's going to happen here. Tells them what all the other kingdoms mean. And then in verse 44, he says, During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven 
will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all of these kingdoms into nothingness. And listen to this. This king and this kingdom will stand forever. Now, I want you to see this. Imagine you're standing, you're in exile, you're a slave. You're standing before the most powerful person on the planet, a demonized pagan god or a pagan king. Um, and you're telling him, you're, you speak with, with honor and your majesty, but then you say this. The reason you're in power right now is God has placed you here. And the reason you have the gifts that you have is because God has given them to you. In fact, you are being used by God right now for his purposes, not your purposes. I mean, that's a little, that takes guts. But it comes from somebody who knows the king of glory and who knows his identity as a son, and he's got the map. And then he begins to prophesy about this man, Christ Jesus, who's going to come and and he's the one that's going to reign forever and ever. Of course, he doesn't know that man yet, but he's seeing it. And then he says, King, you know what? Um, this, this ruler is going to put every other kingdom down. In other words, you're not the greatest thing since sliced bread. There's somebody bigger than you, better than you, more powerful than you who's coming. And he begins to introduce him to that God. Now, you can't stand in front of raw power like that and have that kind of poise and confidence and grace unless... Unless you know somebody and you got a map. Are you with me? There's been times in my life when I've had to step out in faith. I felt very awkward. I felt like I wasn't qualified. But here's where it came down at the end of the day. God, I'm your man. You opened this door. I said yes. What was I thinking? But it was an opportunity for you to do something. So I'm going to step out in faith and trust that when I have to open my mouth, I won't embarrass you or me or my mom. All right? Anybody else? Um, Y'all know what I'm talking about because I got a map. I know where this is going. I know it's not all about me. I know, listen, we're in the, we're in the most crazy, it's been referred to, this political cycle has been referred to as a political dumpster fire, all right? We have never been in a situation so embarrassing for all of us, and I'm not even going to get into the specifics. But, but here's what I do not want to hear from our, our lips. If we don't get candidate A in president, the whole America is going down the toilet. If we don't get candidate B in as president, all of America, as we know it, is sunk. I got a map that's bigger than what's going on right now. And I'm not going to bed at night all full of fear and anger and what's going to happen. I know God. I know the King of glory. I know God is sovereign and is working out Everything, and here's what I promise you, every little detail of what we have to walk into, whether it's judgment, whether it's a spanking from God, whether the America as we once knew it uh, is damaged and tarnished, perhaps never to return. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to listen to the God of heaven. I'm going to read my Bible. I am going to love people. I'm going to walk out in faith. I'm going to be part of the solution. I'm not going to be part of the problem. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be a happy warrior. Because I am only, I'm on assignment here, but I'm passing through. This is not my identity. This is not my future. Do I love my country? Absolutely, I love my country. I know you do too. Do I want to be a part of seeing America restored? Yes, that's what I'm working for. But but listen, our problems in this country are so much deeper than who gets elected as the next president of the United States. We are up to here in mess in this country. We might even be over our heads. We need God to be God. 
Our message should be about a great king of all the earth. All these kingdoms are crashing down. There's one kingdom that remains. How many of you are born again? Wave at me if you're born again right now. You love Jesus. You are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You are part of a kingdom that goes on without end. You are part of a kingdom with a king who has unlimited resources. He's merciful and kind. He's an amazing daddy. He wants to restore broken people now. In fact, I've said this before. Sometimes the greater the crisis, the more people's hearts are ready for a big kiss from God. I'm not hoping that happens. But you know what? For kingdom business, it would be really good. God just messes with all of our idols and they come crashing down. Your investment portfolio in dust. Your house, your job. Oh my God. (gasps) Yeah, who are you living for? Who are you? What are you living for? Where is your identity? What does your map say? See, it's easy to follow God when everything's good. It's easy. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. No, it's not praise the Lord when it's all hitting the fan. Then it's like, who are you? Can you see? We got to have an encounter with God that's real. We got to be walking with God. We got to know God. We got to be living this thing. I'm just telling you, it, it, we might be on that little God's plan for your life thing up there. We might be coming over the next hill down into a ditch. Now listen, God's in the ditch. He's already anticipating. He's already waiting for us. Come on down. We got some great stuff that's going to happen down here while you're in this ditch. I'm serious. He's already been there. He made the ditch. Join me. We're going to see some kingdom stuff happen in this ditch. Or we can kick and scream and whine and bellyache and act like every other ungodly person that doesn't know the Lord. God wants to move through your pain and brokenness and shake you out of you so that he can emerge in strength. Remember, the people that know their God will be strong and do great things, exploits. This is our hour, church. You need a map. Do you have one? You are here. Here's, here's, what, here's what I see as the map. You are here. What's the outline of the map? God's hand. The Bible says you can't steal me. You, no one can take you out of my hand. I mean, you know, that's a good place to be. Standing right square in the center of the hand of God Almighty who says, you know what? I've got it all under control. I've got it all under control. Do we believe that? So turn off all the sources of depression. Get your eyes on Jesus. Just begin to worship in the midst of the fire, as we're going to see in weeks to come. Trust the Lord. If your business is being shaken, some of you are going through your, you know, your business. It's being shaken. It may not be open. What am I going to do? I don't know, but I know this. I got a map. You got a map. The map says God will bring us through every one of these things. He'll always provide for us. How about this? One door closing might be the next door that's swinging wide open. I'm looking at Greg Aguilera here. Greg, you went through a season where your place of employment for years slammed shut. And you went through a season of hanging out. But God just opened up something that's really much, much better than you could have ever dreamed. Greg's got a map. Other people commit suicide. Other people stop their lives. Other people give up hope. Other people quit with life. Other people jump in the pit, stay in bed, be depressed. Or you can pull out your map and go, wait a minute. I am depressed now. That's chapter 3. But chapter 4 says I'm getting out of that pit. And I'm moving on with God. And God's going to meet me. And I might be beat up now and feeling like I've been run over. But you know what? God resurrects people like that. And look at what. There's more chapters in my book. 
and I'm with him. Are you guys getting any of this this morning? This is like the real deal. We got a map. We got a map. We're not going through this life blind. We're not walking in strangers' homes trying to be, make new friends. Come on. <laughs> Hallelujah. Some of you heard this story. Back in 2005 when the White Sox won the World Series. I, yeah, I, I'm cheering this year for the Cubbies, all right? I'm cheering for you guys. Finally, stop whining and crying and you get your World Series. But I got a little bit of information ahead of time of a home run that was coming. And I took that little bit of information. In fact, in other words, my map got expanded. My real time just got supersized. I got the 40,000-foot view, and I found out that Paul Konerko was going to hit a home run and win the game. And I started prophesying like God Almighty. <laughs> Guys, it's going to be all right. Don't worry. Paul Konerko's up. I feel it in my spirit. I was operating from a map that they didn't have because we were watching a recording and somebody called me. (laughs) One of my buddies called me on a bathroom break. Can you believe it? It's like, shut up. I don't want to know. But what happened? Oh, Paul. (laughs) Paul Konerko. So it was so great. Everybody's freaking out, watching every pitch. Ball. Strike, ball, strike. Ah, oh, we're down. What's going to happen? And I'm like, I just feel it. I can't explain it. <laughs> I had a map. And Paul Konerko, perfect timing. I'm like, I knew it. I knew it. And everybody's laying on the carpet. We worship Pastor Rockford. Super dad, you are a man of God. You are a prophet. No, I came clean. I told him the truth. It is not me. It is the great God we serve with the map. I heard. All right. I'm just telling you, it's going to work out. Whatever you're going through, it's going to work out. You're not alone. You have a God who loves you. It's going to work out. I don't know how this is going to happen. God does. He's got you covered. Here's the thing. Be a son. Be a daughter. Know who you are. Act like it. Look to him in faith. Keep the map before you. Keep your head up. Looking back, Tony. Tony, you're a man of God. When I first met you, God, you man, you needed help. God, you were broken. Look at you. You're a son. Loving God. Come on, I can, I can look out here. You're, you're running your own business. Come on. I, I swear to God, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when Tony first came here, he was a shell. An absolute shell of a man. He's a man of God. He's a son. I look at you and I, I see Jesus coming off you back there. Jesus, it's, you're a son. God's turned everything around. This whole place is full of sons and daughters. Come on, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. I want you to take whatever you're going through right now, and I want you to present it to the Lord. And I just want you to come at it from a perspective of being a child of God. I want you to give him the concerns and give him all the, all the things that are on your heart this morning. And I want you to receive the loving care of your dad. Let him father you through the midst of what's going on right now. Let him father you. And know that he's with you and he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. And you know what? It's going to be all right. I say that to you in Jesus' name. Thus saith the Lord. It's going to be all right. Some of you might be going through uh, marital situations right now. Even divorce. Things falling up apart. Kids. Listen, if you're in the midst of standing for your kids... Don't let it overwhelm you in the midst of what's going on. Trust the Lord 
with whatever's happened and let him redeem it and restore it. Believe God for your family, that every one of them will be lovers of the Lord and following Christ. Whatever the challenges that you are, just begin to speak the word. Look at your map. Look at the big picture. Begin to speak what's the end and not what you're in right now. Begin to declare that over your family, your kids, your, your home, your finances, that God is with you. God is for you. Who could be against you? What an amazing truth we have. Lord, may this truth inspire courage in our hearts that no matter what the challenges are in front of us, you reign supreme and we're part of a kingdom that's going to go on forever. We're part of an enduring inheritance that no man can rob us or steal from us. So Lord, minister to us. Even this week, may we be found faithful, God. Let us open our mouths and declare the greatness of our God. Let us minister hope to people who are hopeless, life to people who are lifeless, Lord. God, let us be the solution and not the problem. Let us be the good word and not the bad word. God, let us be the word of life and hope and not the word of despair and gloom. Father, let us be a part of transforming our culture even now. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you know, we'd love to meet you. We'd love to pray with you. If you're here today and there's something that's just overwhelmingly got you under it, we want to we, we want to pray for you. We're not here to condemn you. We want to pray with you. Jesus wants to step into that situation. If you need prayer for healing in your body, maybe there's a major physical challenge you're facing right now. We just want to invite Jesus in the middle of that and, and see what he wants to do. We believe he'd love to touch you and heal you. Whatever it is, Whatever condition you're in, whatever pit you find yourself in, we want to just love you and encourage you today. So when I say amen, we want you to come forward and let us pray for you. Father, bless us now as we leave this place. Use us for your glory. We put this all in your lap and for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand and have a great day. Amen.